Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. She prepared those notes for me. Got to see what I'm preaching about this morning. Good morning. Oh, man. Worship is so good today. I, just, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, he's so good. We just long for his presence. Um, you know, don't be surprised someday if we just, the presence hits and we just worship the whole time. You know, that's what we just live for those moments uh, where his presence is just present. Yeah, so I've got some funny pictures. So let's just get our laughers warmed up. Ha, 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 I can't help but start laughing for real when I do the fake laugh. Ha, ha, ha. So it works. It works in life. Sometimes you just need a laugh. So just you start to rev it up. Ha, 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 ha. It's funny, my friend Levi, I think he's coming in October. Um, he said, I've, I've got such an awesome laugh because my laugh makes other people laugh. And so he'd just start laughing and then everybody around him just laughs at his laugh. So that's, the kind of, that's a good kind of laugh. So I've got some funny pictures. So, um, so this first picture, this is a, uh, a Botox before and after picture. So if you're considering Botox, so just, just check this picture out. <laughs> that was so good. That just got me. <laughs> All right, next picture. This next one is a text message. Um, I am here for you. Thanks. I'm going through a, a tough time, so that means a lot. And sorry, I lost all my contacts. So who is this? This is your Uber driver. I am here to pick you up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really nice Uber driver. Next picture. I accidentally wore a red shirt to Target today. And long story short, I'm covering for Debbie this weekend. Never wear a red shirt to Target. So it's, you're going to get asked questions. Next one. T today, today's three-year-old kids can switch on laptops and open their favorite apps. Me, when I was three, I ate mud. That, that's me right there. It's some, somehow that, it's like a three-year-old, 50-year-old. It's like a, a Benjamin Buttons thing going on. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good picture. That's me right there when I was three. All right, turn on the house lights. Oh, man. Yes, so good. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Father, that we can laugh in church. And God, we thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you that um, you are here this morning. You are here and you're mighty to save. You're mighty to heal. There's nothing that's too difficult for you. God, we pray for revelation. The spirit of revelation is just sweeping across um, this place today. God, I just believe wholeheartedly in your word. And what it says is that the righteous are like the light of dawn that get brighter and brighter and brighter. And we just declare as we receive revelation from you today, we're getting brighter. God, our spirit's getting brighter. God, we're getting um, more and more full of your goodness and your joy today. We just pray depression, anxiety, fear is getting pushed out of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have a few things today. I have, a, I have more than usual. Um, uh, but first, I want to share some testimonies from, from evangelism yesterday. Uh, we had nine people uh, come out 
representing three different churches. It just happened to be uh, like coincidentally uh, yesterday that we had um, two guys that I met from Prescott um, that I was telling them about evangelism when we were at youth camp and I saw this guy's eyes just come on fire. And he, and he goes, I, I've been wanting to do evangelism, but I've just never seen it done well. And I, I just challenged him. I said, come down. I said, I know, I know it's a drive, but come down, go with us. And so he, he did, he came down yesterday. He brought somebody from his church. And then the same day, coincidentally, um, someone that Caleb knows also came and brought two guys from another church in Glendale. And none of these people had ever been out evangelizing. And so they were all like getting exposed to it yesterday. And it was powerful. I just, uh, God showed up. Two people, we went over to Arrowhead Mall. Two people got saved um, right there on the spot, just gave their heart to Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You can give the hand for that. Um, two people got healed. Caleb, Caleb prayed for a lady uh, that had a broken rib. And after he prayed, um, she just took a deep breath and she's like, I can breathe again. <laughs> and so we saw two people get healed. I think it was a rib and a back. Is the other one a back? Yeah, somebody's back got healed. And so God shows up. It's so amazing to me. Um, we, do, we go about an hour and a half. And just in that short window, it's just amazing. God just shows up. People get healed. People get saved. It's, I think we're at 48 people have gotten saved since we started going out in January just from this church alone. Yeah. So praise God. That's 48 lives just permanently changed. You know, we just know that when we're out there and, and all of us, when we're out there and we share Christ, we're pulling people out of hell and into heaven. And it's, it's so awesome. So let's see what else. Um, yeah. I just want to share that testimony. I, w I just want to say Caleb Love, he's doing an amazing job leading our team. Really is. He really is. Uh, and I just want to encourage you to come out sometime um, if it's been on your heart. I know a few of you are like, oh, I, f I feel like it's on my heart, but I'm a little scared. Um, come out. I get it, you know. Uh, I was scared at first and I still get a little scared. Um, but come out and shadow us. Um, like we had a lot of the guys yesterday, they just watched. They just, you know, we out in twos and a lot of the guys were like, I just want to watch. And so come out and even just watch and uh, see what God does. All right. Amen. Do, 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 do. Okay. Before I get to like the main topic of today, um, I had a, a couple things I wanted to share about last week. Um, last week I preached a message called Culture of Grace. And I got a lot of, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from it. I've had people text me and say, um, that is really helping me pull out of like performance and legalism. And I've had a lot of people come up to me in person and I was really blessed. I just want to say I was humbled and blessed just to hear some of the feedback. And originally I was going to preach this week, um, part two of that message, Culture of Grace, part two. And because there's a whole lot more we could say about grace. Um, but on Thursday night, I felt like the Lord shift kind of what I was supposed to talk about. I just felt fire on something. So I was like, okay, I think this is for this week. But I did want to touch on just a couple of things um, uh, about grace on that topic before we get into the uh, message today. Um, for me in my life, I've been exposed to what I call the culture of performance. I've just personally been exposed to that a lot, to where people are one of these combinations or sometimes all of them, they're working for their salvation. Um, they're working to maintain their salvation. They're working to earn favor from God. They're working to earn love from God. I'm, so I've just been exposed to that. And we know that that's, there's, that's a ditch in the road that we can get into. And it's, a, it's like the spirit of slavery where we don't realize that we're already loved and that you know we're in the Father's hand. But there is a ditch, and this is just what I wanted to touch, touch on this morning. There is a ditch on the other side of the road, and it's what 
Some people call greasy grace. It's what some people call hyper grace. I honestly don't like either one of those terms because that kind of sounds like somehow you can get too much grace or, or like too much grace is bad. And how many know grace is not the problem in this message? So, so when people say that, what they mean is people taking license, like doing whatever they want, living however they want, and then they say that's God's grace. How many know that's not God's grace? That's a misunderstanding of God's grace. God's grace doesn't empower sin. God's grace empowers righteousness. God's grace empowers you to get free from sin. Okay, so we just want to, I know that most of you know that, but I just want to be very clear when we talk about grace. God hates sin. Sin, another word for sin is dysfunction. And we, uh, God's not empowering our dysfunction. He's not empowering our sin. Grace doesn't empower sin. Grace empowers righteousness and empowers you to get free from sin. Now, if, if grace was empowering your dysfunction or empowering sin, Satan would love grace. But I'll tell you a secret. Satan hates grace because he knows it's not an empowerment of sin. It's an empowerment to get free of sin. Amen? So I just wanted to throw that out there this morning. Um, I'll just say it again. I don't like, honestly, I'm just being honest with you. I don't like when I hear people say the phrase greasy grace and hyper grace because I, I understand what they're trying to say, but it sounds somehow that they're saying grace is bad or you can get too much and grace is not the thing. That's just an abuse of grace. I think would be a better way to say that. Okay. What else? A true culture of grace is not a culture of excused sin and dysfunction. A culture of grace is where you will get challenged to leave those things behind. Yeah, yeah. You will get challenged because that's not the life that God's called you to live. He actually will call you into grace that sets you free. Okay, the message today. Again, I was just uh, reading the word on Thursday night and uh, God put this on my heart. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah or open your iPhones, open your Androids. What else, what else is there? iPads, laptops, go to Nehemiah. And we're gonna be there all morning, so just keep your Bibles open, keep your apps open. <clears throat> Nehemiah, I love this book. There's so much revelation in this book. So this, around this time period, especially starting in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter one, it's a very dark time in Israel's history. So at the time of Nehemiah chapter one, the city walls around Jerusalem have been destroyed. They've been knocked down for around 114 years. Now, we think of walls today as something that like beautifies a city, but walls were much more important in this day. Not having, this was your protection. Your walls around your city was your protection. And not having walls would be like living in the worst part of town and not having doors and windows. So this is bad. You're just open game to be robbed, to be taken advantage of. And so without these walls, um, people were just coming in and out. A lot of the people in, in Jerusalem were taken captive. Um, a lot of people have scattered. And the people that are still there are under great distress because there's no walls, there's no protection. So that kind of sets up what we're going to read this morning. 
So the context here is, uh, we're going to start in verse 4, Nehemiah 1, verse 4. The context is, uh, Nehemiah gets the news that the remnants in Jerusalem, they're in great distress. And it seems like there's been an effort to, to kind of rebuild the walls again. And the enemies have came in again, destroyed the walls, burned the gates down. And he hears this news, and that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 4. So Nehemiah hears this bad news. Verse 4. Now, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, please, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and faithfulness for those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now. Day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have committed against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you have commanded your servant Moses. Verse eight, remember, he's telling the, this is, this is interesting. He's telling the Lord to remember, remember. Please, the word which you have commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of heaven, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen my name to dwell. So Nehemiah gets really bad news and I love how he responds to this. And this, this gives us a template, if you will, of how to respond when you get bad news, when something happens, whether it's big, big or small, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's just a disappointment or there's some type of bad news that comes in. Nehemiah gives us a great pattern of how to respond in a godly way. So that's what we're gonna talk about for a second here. So now I talked about Nehemiah about four or five years ago, and I preached a message about it, and I recently went back and listened to it. And the first time that I, I preached about this, I, I missed, I, I saw that how he responded, but I missed the first thing that he actually did when he gets bad news. The very first thing that he actually does is, is not pray. The very first thing, thing that he does is he mourns. He mourns. If you look at, back at verse four, he says, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. Now, especially men, sometimes when the bad news comes, when the things happen to us or around us, we can go right to fix-it mode. We can skip right past letting us actually feel an emotion that we don't like to feel. Sometimes that's how we medicate. Is we're like, well, I can fix this, and we jump right to fix it. But Nehemiah actually mourned when he heard this news. He didn't jump to fix it mode. He actually mourned. I went through this process about four or five years ago where I started to feel numb, like emotionally. And I was like, I haven't, you know, four or five years ago, I was like, I haven't felt like joy in like a while. And I was starting to be like, something's not right here. So I started to process with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And, and he started to speak to me. And he's like, you're, you're emotionally kind of like locked up right now. And I realized what had been happening that, 
there had been some disappointments in my life and my, my grandma had passed away who was like a second mom to me. And I realized I kind of like wasn't feeling any of those things. I was kind of just like skipping past them. I wasn't allowing myself to feel the pain because who wants to feel pain? Who wants to mourn? I used to read that verse, Matthew 5, 6. It says, blessed are those who mourn. And I had never understood that verse. I was like, that's, you know, you're not blessed when you mourn. I don't want to mourn. And so the Lord started showing me, he's like, you know, you've been skipping past these things and, and not letting yourself feel them. And when you numb emotions, you can't selectively numb emotions. Like if you numb the pain, you're going to numb joy. Now there's a lady now, her name's Brene Brown, and she actually studied this. She actually showed this scientifically that like, if you are numbing your emotions, you're numbing pain, you're not allowing yourself to feel pain, you actually numb joy. You can't just numb the pain and not numb happiness, joy, excitement, everything gets numb. I had a friend, this was years ago before I rededicated my life to Christ and he struggled with depression and he was on medication for depression. And he told me one time, he said, I hate this medication. And I was like, why is it not working? He goes, no, it just makes me feel numb to everything. He's like, I hate it because yeah, I'm not depressed, but I don't feel joy either. I don't feel anything. I just feel numb. So we can't selectively numb our emotions, if we, if we don't allow ourselves to process pain, if we don't allow ourselves to process disappointment, you know, even like simple things like, you know, we had a friend in our life and that friendship, you know, breaks apart. And, you know, our temptation can sometimes be like, well, I don't need them. I don't need them. I'm fine. Instead of like the healthy thing to do is be like, ah, that's actually disappointing. That actually hurts. I'm gonna actually allow myself to feel this pain and actually grieve the loss of this friendship. Actually grieve the loss of, of you know, my grandma, which I, I hadn't grieved. I skipped right past it. And then months later, when the Lord started showing me this, I remember I had a moment where I just, and this was like five months after she passed away, I had a moment where I, I finally felt it and I just wept for my grandma. And, you know, I'm gonna see her in heaven. But I just felt the pain of that, like, oh man, my grandma's not here anymore, you know. So this is a healthy thing to feel your emotions. And men, I'm talking to you, we sometimes struggle with this, to actually allow yourself to feel your emotions. So this is what the Lord spoke to me when I went through that period and I was like not experiencing joy. He said, you know, that verse that says, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And he said, Daniel, if you don't mourn, you're not allowing yourself to be comforted. If you don't mourn, you're not allowing me to comfort you. And so we are blessed when we mourn because that's when we are comforted by the Lord. He comes in and he comforts us. So the first thing that Nehemiah did is he actually just mourns. He actually feels the pain of this. He, he's not even there, you know, he's in another place. He's actually in a palace. He's a cupbearer. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But he begins to mourn for his people. And he mourns for days. He allows himself to feel this. Then he prays. Number two thing he does, he fasts and he prays. So this right now, it plays right into Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When we, we mourn, then we go to the Lord in our mourning and he brings the comfort. So the second thing he does is he prays. Again, we're talking about how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with loss? How do you deal with, with things that are hard emotionally? This is a great template. He mourns. Number two, he fasts and he prays. He goes to the Lord. He takes his pain to the Lord. We need to take our pain to the Lord. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. So he goes to the Lord. 
Number three, he reminds God of his word. Remember, remember we were reading it and he said, Lord, remember, remember your word, which you spoke. Did God forget his word? No, God doesn't forget his word. What is he really doing? He's reminding himself of God's word. And I, but I think the Lord loves that when, he, when you're like, Lord, you said, Lord, you said, if you're going through financial struggle, Lord, you said, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. You know what that means? It says, I shall not want in some translations. It says, you shall not go with, without anything that you need. Lord, you said, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. He starts to declare God's word to, to back to himself. He's reminding himself of God's word. This declarations, you know, we're big on declarations. This is declarations. He's declaring something to the Lord. And this, this fits right in with like declaring God's word over your life, declaring God's promises over your life, declaring the prophetic words that you've got over your life. By the way, you may have gotten prophetic words that don't make sense. And, and sometimes it's like when, it, well, let me put it this way. Um, a prophetic word perfectly resonating with you is not always evidence that it's a, from God or not. Does that make sense? Sometimes God gives you a word that seems ridiculous because you're going to need to hold, hold on to it. You're like, well, that doesn't seem true. <laughs> That's why God gave it to you because he wants you to get you to believe something that you're not believing right now. Amen? So Nehemiah mourns. He gets this bad news. He allows himself to, to connect to the pain of this. He doesn't jump to fix-it mode. He actually allows himself to feel the pain. He fasts and he prays, number two. Number three, he reminds God of his words. He declares God's word back to him. This, we need to get good at this, especially in the hard moments, especially in our disappointment. disappointment. And the last thing is, that he does is he takes action. He steps out in faith and he takes action. So we can't skip when we, when we, things happen to us, don't skip the process. Don't jump right to action because we, there's a process that we want to go through with God. We want to actually allow ourselves to feel the emotions. We want to go to the Lord, allow him to comfort us. We want to ask him for what we need, remind him of his word, declare things over our life and over our situation. Then we step out and we take action. guys are quiet today. Feel free to just scream if somebody needs to. <laughs> oh, thank you. I needed that. Okay. Nehemiah was uh, a cup bearer. Cup bearer. How many of you have seen that show, Dirty Jobs with uh, Mike Rowe? You ever seen that show? Yeah. yeah, it's a good show. I just like him. Cupbearer was a dirty job. So one of your jobs was you were responsible for all the king's beverages. You're like, oh, that's not so bad. But the second part of that job was you were responsible to sample all the king's beverages to make sure that they weren't poisoned. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me but not my will be done. Your will be done. And I want to tell you, Jesus is our cupbearer. He took the poison for us. He took it for us. He died so that we could have life. Amen. 
So I want to read Nehemiah chapter 2. So go over to chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Yeah, Jesus, we're so thankful that you took the poison for us so that we could, be, we could have life, we could be free. Let's read verse 1. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I picked up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So this is after Nehemiah, he gets this bad news, he goes through that process, and here's, here's what he did to take action. He says, I'd not been sad in his presence. Verse two, so the king said to me, why is your face sad though you are not ill? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid? Because as a cupbearer, your job was to reflect the glory of the king and to reflect the, the happiness, the joyfulness of the king. And if you were, had a, even had a frowny face in front of your king, you could be executed. So he was, he was terrified that he was even showing some not uh, some emotion that was negative. He said, then I was very much afraid. Verse three, and I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the site of my father's tombs is desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor before you, I request that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I might rebuild it. Then the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the rivers so that they will allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. So Nehemiah steps out. This is when he actually takes action. He goes through this process and then he steps out and takes action. And he steps out to do what God's called him to do. And he gets two letters from the king. One is a letter to allow him to get where he needs to go. And the other letter is to give him access to the resources he needs. And so in this instant, I believe for us, the king represents God. And I want to tell you this morning, as you step out to do what God has put on your heart, he gives you the access to get where you need to get. He gives you the resources that you need to do what he's called you to do. So Nehemiah chapter three is an awesome chapter. I like reading it. It talks about the people who came to help Nehemiah and it just kind of it, like, it's a long chapter because so many people came and for some reason they credit every single person that came to help. And it's like, and then this person came and they did this and then this person came and they did this and then this person came and their, their expertise was fixing doors and they fixed the doors and then this person came and they brought their family and they fixed this and it goes on and on and on for, and I just get encouraged as I read it. It's a long chapter, but as you're reading, then this person came, then this person came, then this person came. And people are just being drawn to this mission that God's put on Nehemiah's heart. And the work is, is amazingly getting finished that hadn't been finished. They'd been working on this. The gates and walls have been down for 114 years, but they've been trying to do this for 72 years and, and failed. 
And all of a sudden, just people are coming and doing the work and it's getting done. So I wanna tell you, as you step out into your destiny, you're going to inspire people around you to step into their destiny. One of the lies of the enemies is that when we begin to have a passion to do something, one of the lies of the enemy is that you're just being selfish. This is all about you. But the truth is when we step out into what God's called us to do, it actually inspires people around us to step out into their destiny. It's not just for us. So let's read Nehemiah chapter four. We're gonna read the first three verses. It says, now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy people of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they gonna restore the temple for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish it in a day? Can they revive the stones from the heaps of rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Amorite was near him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox were to jump on it, it would break down their stone wall. So when you step into destiny, that's when the naysayers come out. So here's some of the typical lies you're going to hear as you step out. So sometimes you'll hear these in the flesh, maybe people in your family, maybe people around you. Sometimes you're gonna hear these lies in the flesh. But I think more often than not, maybe I'm wrong in some situations, but more often than not, these are lies that we hear in our mind that the enemy speaks to us. These are the whispers of the enemy. And it's so good to identify the lies of the enemy because when they come, we can know, oh, that's not actually even my thought. That's actually the enemy's thought. So I want to point out some of the lies that you may hear as you step out into your destiny. So number one, the first thing they said is, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are they saying? You're weak. You're not strong enough. This is the lie that you might hear. You're weak. Not strong enough. Who do you think you are? You're not strong enough to do this. You're weak. Called them feeble Jews. Number two, the second lie was, are they going to restore it for themselves? What's the lie here? The accuser questions our motives. Oh, you're just trying to promote yourself. You're being selfish. This is all about you, isn't it? How many know humility isn't thinking less of yourselves? Humility is actually stepping into the call of God in your life. That's actually the most humble thing you can do when God showed you what to do. The most humble thing to do is say, here I am, Lord, send me. Humility is not feeling less of yourself. Humility sometimes masks as guilt and shame, and we think that's humility because we feel enough guilt and shame. But this is, I gotta, I gotta credit Bill Johnson. He said this, and I was like, I'm just gonna credit him. He's so good. First time you say something, you credit the person, and then the second time you just pretend it's yours. But I heard, him say this, <laughs> I heard him say this a few weeks ago. He, he said, guilt and shame, or humility can mask itself as, as guilt and shame. He says, but guilt and shame will never give you access to what humility does. Yeah. Yeah, humility actually gives you access to God's resource. Like, because true humility is stepping into what God's asked you to do. 
then you have access to God's resources. Then you get the doors open that you need opened. So next time I say that, I'll just pretend it's mine. I've heard Bill preach and he's like, he'll say something profound like that. And he's like, he's like, you know, he says something like, if you can just take that, you can just credit, just, just pretend it's yours when you, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jesus. Okay, where are we at? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Is that where we're at? Okay. Yeah, questioning our motives. This is all about you. You're selfish, but true humility is stepping into what God's called you to do. Third lie, can they offer sacrifices? What's the lie? Can you offer sacrifices? You're not spiritual enough to do that. You haven't read your Bible enough. You haven't prayed enough. These are the, these are the voices of the enemy. Again, I think I talked about this last week, but when we had that guy manifest demonically, these are some of the things he was saying to this guy or that was coming out of his mouth. This the demon was like, he hasn't done this enough. He hasn't prayed enough. This is, again, Satan is the most legalistic voice you'll ever hear. You haven't done enough. You're not qualified. You need to pray more. <laughs> you think the enemy would actually say that? I think he actually does. He just wants to put us into shame and guilt. He's the accuser. Can they offer sacrifices? You're not spiritual enough. You haven't done enough. This is some of the lies you're going to hear when you step out. Well, if, if you become spiritual enough, if you become, if you overcome this thing in your life, then you can do it. Just setting up roadblocks. Fourth lie, can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? What's the lie? You don't have the ability to accomplish the mission. You don't have the right schooling. You don't have the right education. You're not smart enough. You can't do it. How many know God used 12 uneducated fishermen to change the world? I think it's one of the reasons he did it because people looked at them and they, they knew that they were uneducated and they were like, that's God. What's happening through them, that's, that could only be God. They couldn't credit their own intellect. Another lie you'll hear, you don't, you, don't, you don't have the right schooling. You're not educated enough. Go to school for four years, then you can do it. How I many of God's told you to step out into it? You don't need to go get schooling for it. I'm not, I'm not against schooling, by the way. Last little zinger, somebody else chimes in. Tobiah chimes in. He says, even if a fox were to jump on their wall, he's going to crumble their, their wall. Last night, I don't know what this, this is one of those, I don't, I don't know if I should say, but it was just so weird. Last night I was walking the dog, this owl, this huge owl was flying over me and he flew over me like three times. Like, and he was huge. His wingspan was probably like four feet. And, and it was just so bizarre. I don't know, I kept thinking of that while I was thinking about the little fox, this big owl. It's probably a prophetic meaning for that. <laughs> I forgot to tell you about that. This big old owl, this never happened before. This big old owl has kept flying over me. Even if a fox were to jump on the wall, he would break their stone wall. What's he saying? What's the lie? Even if you accomplish anything, it's going to be worthless. It's going to be of poor quality and it's not going to last. These are some of the lies that you're going to hear as you step out. When you start to know the enemy's tricks, when you start to know what his lies are, you can, you can discern them and you can say, oh, that's actually the lie. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> it's powerful to laugh at the lies of the enemy. God does it in Psalm chapter two.
All right, go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard the repair of the wall of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. When you stop listening to the lies of the enemy, you will infuriate him because he knows he's losing his influence over you. All he has is lies. When you stop listening, it really ticks him off because he knows he's losing his influence. That's the only influence he has over you is, is what he can get you to believe that's a lie and get you to partner with it. So these guys, they saw, they, these were the, the people that hated what was happening. They, they hated what was going on. They hated that they were trying to rebuild the wall. And those, these are the people that were saying all these things about them, accusing them. And because they weren't listening, they were infuriated. <laughs> Imagine this is, they'd been trying to do this for 74 years. There'd probably been a lot of times where someone stepped out and tried and failed. And this time they were seeing like, wait, our discouragement's not working. Our lies are not working this time. Go to chapter six. We're going to read verses one through three. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the, rest of their, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach was left in it, although at the time I had not installed the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let's meet together at Cherifim in the plain of Ono. Yeah, don't go and meet with the enemy in the plain of Ono. Oh no, don't do that. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers. I love this. It's probably my favorite verse in, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 6.3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I'm unable to come down. Why should we stop the work while I leave it and come down to you? Love that verse. I'm doing a great work. I'm not going to stop to listen to the accusation. I'm not going to stop doing the work that God showed me to do. I'm not coming off my wall and going down to your level. You know, a lot of times in, in evangelism, when we're out, uh, our goal in evangelism is to share the gospel. And a lot of times what the enemy wants to do is he wants to suck you into religious arg argument. We have to remember like, oh, this is not our goal. <laughs> our goal is not to argue with people. Our goal is to share the gospel. You know, you can be arguing with someone and meanwhile, there's people walking by you that just are ready to receive the gospel message. So the enemy always wants to take you off the mission. Like our mission in evangelism is share the gospel, share the gospel. We're not here to argue with anybody. If someone doesn't agree with us, that's okay, but we're not here to argue. We wanna share the gospel with people. But the enemy will always try to take you off your mission, pull you into accusation, pull you down into his level, get you off the wall, get you down into the plane of, oh no. That's his, that's his goal. And he uses lies and accusation. So Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work here. And I will not come down. God has a great work for you to do. He has a great work for you to do but the enemy hates it and he's going to put every lie he can out there to get you to stop, to get you to fail. So Nehemiah ignores the lies. He ignores the accusation and he keeps going. This is such a key. 
Ignore the lies, ignore the accusation, keep going. Keep declaring what God said because the enemy is going to speak what he wants you to think. You got to keep declaring what God has said. Don't stop to let the enemy speak into your life. So Nehemiah and all the people who came to help end up finishing the walls in 52 days. This is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. What the Israelites couldn't do in 72 years, Nehemiah does in, seven, in 52 days. So before all of this happened, before we had the finished wall, Nehemiah mourned. He prayed. He declared God's word back to him. Then he steps out into action. He didn't stop to consider the things that the enemy was speaking against him. And he inspired a nation. So it reminds us that with God, what looks impossible is really no problem when someone is brave enough to step out. Brave enough to step out and not listen to the lies of the enemies. So just one more thing and then we're going to close. Um, this was heavy on my heart. This is what I was reading you know, through Nehemiah on uh, 30, Thursday night. And this just, just, just hit me. And I felt like the Lord was like, this is the message for Sunday. There's so much destiny in this room. I know that. I feel that. There is so much purpose. There is so much greatness. There is so much destiny in this room. And I want to encourage you to begin to step out, to step out into what God has shown you to do. Here's what was so striking to me on Thursday night. Nehemiah didn't wait for the resources to be available to step out. Nehemiah didn't wait for the people to be there to help to step out. He stepped out in faith. Then God brought the resource. Then God brought the people. So many of us, and I've been there, we, we're waiting for the resource to be there available. We're waiting for the people to come along to help us. That's not how faith works. It's not how faith works. It's not what Nehemiah did. He stepped out. Then the resources came. Then the people came. And I just felt it on my heart. I was like, I feel like this is why I spoke this message today. There's purpose. There's destiny. There's businesses here in this room and that you've not stepped out in. And I want to tell you this morning to step out. Step out. Don't wait for the resource. Don't wait for the right timing, don't wait for the right political season, don't wait for the right whatever. Step out because when we step out in faith, God always partners with our faith. That's when God will partner with you and bring the resource that you need. Who am I speaking to this morning? <laughs> a few people. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I just want you to close your eyes this morning. Just ask the Lord. We're just going to take a minute. Just ask the Lord, what, has he, what, is, what have you called me, God? Just say, God, what have you called me to step out into? I want you to use your imagination. God, God gave you imagination. The enemy wants to use your imagination as his playground, but God actually created your imagination so that you could dream with him and use your faith to envision God showing up in your future. That's, that's what your imagination is for.
to use your imagination to show God showing up. So I want you to use your faith. Those of you that you, you know God's just spoke to you or you maybe already knew what God's called you to step out into. And I want you to, we're gonna take another minute. I want you to use your imagination to envision showing God or to envision God showing up in that thing that he spoke to you. This is a great practice, by the way. This is what your imagination is for. I want to do one more thing with eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, now's your moment. Maybe you've given your heart to Jesus in the past, or maybe you did something when you were young, but maybe today you just felt God tugging on your heart and you're like, I need to recommit my life to Jesus. So if you either want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time, or if you want to rededicate your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And nobody's going to know except for me and you. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand right now. I want to just share this before I ask you that to do that. God is so amazing. God is humble. And we see the humility in God in Jesus Christ that he left his glory. He left his father to become a little baby. And he was born in a barn. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. It shows us the humility of God. And he had one purpose in life, to die. Yes, he came to reveal the Father. Yes, he came to heal the sick. But his main purpose, he came to die. He came to actually take the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, upon himself. And when we receive him, he says, I'm, I'm taking all of your sin past, present, and future, and I'm giving you all of my righteousness. And after he died on the cross, he didn't stay there. He rose from the grave. He was here 40 days after he rose out of the grave and he was seen by more than 400 people. And he's here right now. He's in this room. You felt, if you've been here this morning, you probably felt the presence of the Lord. And if you've never given your heart or if you want to rededicate your life, he's speaking to your heart right now. And this is your moment. And I just want to ask with eyes closed, just if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus this morning, or if you were receiving him for the first time, would you just slip up your hand so that I can see it? Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to wait another moment. There's a few hands, but I want to wait. Is there anybody else you want to rededicate your life today? Or you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time? Yeah. Thank you for those hands. You can put them down. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to say this prayer together. Um, you know, there's no magic words, but the prayer, I like the prayer. The prayer is just, it's, it's a tool to get your heart to connect to God, to say yes to God. And so we're just going to say this prayer together. Let's just all say this. Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you today. Come and be my savior. Be my Lord. I give my life to you. Father, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I receive the son as my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 